0: series proving it or prove it for several weeks now in fact the last six weeks and sooner or later if you know the the gospel writer John who who also wrote this letter you knew we were going to get to the topic of love it just had to if, if you've read John's gospel if you've read John's letters you knew that sooner or later we were going to have to talk about this uh, this love because for six weeks now we've been considering tests of true faith we've we've talked about uh, the ethical test, how we, how we live. John has spe- spent a, a considerable amount of time writing about that. Uh, last week we talked about the doctrinal test, what we believe. But again, if you know anything about John, sooner or later we had to get to this, this relational test. The who and how do you love. I mean, after all, it was John who, who quoted Jesus as saying, By this all people know you are my disciples, that you Right, y'all gonna have to read your Bibles a little more. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. It's John that's been described as the apostle of love. In fact, the ancient tradition is that as he was an old man uh, serving as an elder in the church of Ephesus, the, the, the elders, the other elders would carry him into the assembly and they'd sit him down on the floor so he could teach. And when, when they did, John would simply say this. He would say, Dear children, let us love one another and that was it that that was their sermon for the week let us love one another and that that was honestly that's a pretty good sermon isn't it and don't worry you're gonna you're gonna get more for your money than that today all right uh but but that's a what a great statement just dear children let us love one another and so it shouldn't come as any surprise that we're talking about love this morning I think we'd all agree that love is essential to the Christian life but what about people who aren't Christians? Think about this for just a moment. You all probably know somebody that, that I, I put in the category of good people. They're, they're people who aren't Christians, who, who don't necessarily follow Jesus, but they're good, decent people. Like, you know, they're, they're the people you want to live next to, and they're the people you want your kids to go to school with. You know, you want their kids to go to school with your kids. They're, they're just good people, they, they don't do anything terrible. In fact, the only distinguishing difference between you and them is that you follow Jesus and they don't. What about those people? What, they just kind of, again, they're that good people. And, and the distinguishing difference there, again, is our love for Jesus. And, and here's the thing that I find interesting about this is that when you talk to those people, all, all of you probably have somebody in mind when, I'm th- that, when I describe that, just a good person not necessarily a Christian, but a good person, you probably come up with somebody. And if you talk to them about Jesus, about Christianity, they, they're never dismissive. They don't, I mean, they're, they're too polite to do that. But there's something that intrigues them, I think, often about Christianity. And you know what it is? It's it's this love that we talk about. It's this love that we speak of. It's this love that that Jesus has shown for us. And, and they have lots of questions about that. They have questions like, you know, what what is it? How how do? Why is it so important? How does it? You live that out. What's it look like to live a life of love? And how does that make you different than me? How do, how do we incorporate this into our lives? And, and honestly, those are questions that regardless of what background you're from, or regardless of your culture, whether you're a Christ follower or not, that lots of people are asking. So let's dig into John's letter. We're going to dig a little deeper this morning. We're going to start in chapter 2. We're going to uh, start there at verse 9, but then we're going to jump through a couple of different chapters here at 1 John. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead, flip over to 1 John chapter 2. The verses that we're going to look at will be on the screen in just a moment. But, but while, you're, while you're finding that in your, in your Bibles, I, I just want to remind you that we pointed out earlier in this series that John structures his letter a little differently than, than I think how most of us, if we were writing, would write. John doesn't, stru- it's not a, a linear format, it's not you know, an outline with a main point and then sub-point, sub-point and new main point and all that kind of stuff. Instead, John has about three different topics that he wants to talk about. And, and he doesn't, like, like I said, do it in a linear fashion, he does it in a cyclical fashion. So he talks about one topic, and then he jumps to the next topic, and then to the next topic, and then he comes back to those topics. And he just talks about them again, and each time he drills down a little bit more. And so John first introduces us to this subject of love in chapter 2, and verse 9. He says this, he says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. He says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. And it's a rather abrupt transition uh, that John uses here. That He goes from talking about one thing to now he's talking about love, and, and there's just not a, like a clear segue. And John uses some pretty strong language. When you read those two verses, there's some strong language there. He talks about love and hate, light and darkness. Again, remember, he's writing this to the church at Ephesus, and there was... Um, Evidently, a problem there in the church. Remember, he's writing as a pastor to a congregation, and it turns out there were some serious relational issues in the church at Ephesus. We don't know all the details, but it appears to begin as a doctrinal disagreement, a disagreement over what we believe. And it was about that disagreement seemingly over the person and the work of Jesus that led to other disputes, which is not uncommon in, in churches or any other organization. If you're a part of an organization and there's a dispute about what we believe, what's a core value, what's a priority, you kind of break off into factions. You know, this group believes this, and this group believes this, and this group thinks this is most important, and this group thinks this is most important. And, and there seems to be a separation that always takes place. And, and the church, honestly, it's no different than that. Now, it's hard to imagine that brothers and sisters in Christ would hate each other. But I think it had to be a pretty serious issue for John to use such strong language. And, and honestly, it's disappointing that, that this church is having problems so soon after the, the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Remember, this is only about 50 years after Jesus ha- has left earth. And what's even equally more disappointing, and honestly it doesn't give me a whole lot of hope, is that they had an apostle who was their pastor. I mean, It'd be hard to get a much better pastor than John, right? Like, he's, he's up there. You all are, maybe, it could be a little tough for us. Because I'm not John, and we're not the church at Ephesus, and so and we're 2,000 years removed from that. And it's equally just as disappointing to realize that the church, not just this church, but the church universal, the church worldwide, still struggles with, with unity and a lack of love. One of the major themes in the of the Cape Town Congress of the Lucan Movement and the Lucan Movement is just a it's a gathering of of Christ followers, a gathering of of world Christian leaders who who get together for the purpose of encouraging and 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 discipling and sending out missionaries all over the world, and they have these big congresses every about every twenty years or so. The last one they had was in 2010 in Cape Town, South Africa. And, they're going to have another one in 2024 in Seoul, South Korea. And one of the, the major themes of the Cape Town Congress was the challenge of unity in the church. It turns out that a lack of love and a lack of unity in the church is a problem all over the world. In, in South Africa, where Cape Town is at, uh, with the legacy of the apartheid, you, you have society that's still quite segregated between black people and white people. And honestly, the church, there's no different. It's segregated. In other African nations, the divisions aren't racial but, but tribal. Believers from one people group don't, don't trust believers from another people group. In India, the church struggles with the caste system where, where upper caste believers don't always want to associate with lower caste members. In, in Latin America, there's, there's tension between the Pentecostal church and other Christian movements. And here in America, we fight over worship styles and ministry strategies and what color the carpet should be in the sanctuary. And all those other issues too, right? If someone were to ask you how we as a church, how Glendale Christian Church was doing relationally, how would you answer? Think about that for just a moment. How would you answer if, if someone were to come in and say, how is GCC a, as a relational entity? I mean, on the one hand, I think there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, overall, there's a feeling of warmth for the most part in our congregation. People are friendly. Uh, when people visit, they often say that we're a friendly church. They're greeted warmly. They're, you know, somebody shakes their hand in the lobby and, and, and offers to sit by them. They're, so there's, there's a, a, a feeling of, of welcoming there. There's a lot of caring that takes place through our ministries, through uh, people preparing meals for one another and bereavement meals and making hospital visits and, and just support for each other during difficult times. On a certain level, I think it's safe to say that GCC is a loving church. But how deep is that love? I'm asking. How deep is that love? Are we satisfied with the levels of intimacy and care and prayer that we experience together? Are we able to have hard conversations with with each other? Do do we love each other when it's only convenient? or, Or do we really make sacrifices for one another? Let me ask it another way. Is the love that we have in this congregation the kind of love that would cause the rest of the world to stand up and take note of? You you get the sense that when John is writing this letter, he's talking about more than just polite smiles and friendly handshakes out in the lobby, he's talking about more than just token displays of unity. He, he's writing about a love that, that is distinctive, that's different from any other love anywhere else in the world. He, he's calling for a deep love. Ultimately, he would say that the way you prove your faith, the way that you prove that you're a Christ follower, is by how you love one another. There's Music is, is a great tool for, for a lot of different things. And one of the, the themes of music is often love. I mean, how many of you, if you were just to think of your favorite song or, or a top five favorite song list one of those songs would probably deal about love. Uh, in, in the 1980s, um, in fact, in 1984, the number one song in both U.S. and Britain, according to Billboard magazines, was it turned out to be one of the top classic rock songs of all time, was a song about love. As I was kind of doing some digging for this message, I found out that in the 1980s, there were a ton of number one Billboard chart songs that focused on love. I mean, it began in 1980 with, with Queen when they sang about a crazy little thing called love. Anybody remember that, that song? Uh, you, you can raise your hand. Yeah, most of you do. Um, then Diana Ross and Lionel Richie, they, they sang about an endless love. REO Speedwagon promised to, to keep on loving you. Joan Jett announced that she loved rock and roll. Tina Turner asked the question, what's love got to do with it? Stevie Wonder raised the possibility of a part-time lover. Huey Lewis in the news reminded us that there was power of Love. And there were, there's a ton more that I, I won't even bother to mention. But, but a song played more often than any other of those songs. And like I said, 1984 was the number one hit in UK and uh, the United States. Almost 40 years later was, I want to know what love is. Anybody remember that song, know who who it was by? You remember who it was by? Foreigner, yeah foreigner. And, and it's the course that we, we can't get out of, our, out of our heads. It says, I want to know what love is. I, I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know that you can show me. People want to know what love is. They, they want to see it. They want to feel it. They want to experience it. People are familiar with the concept of love. I think you're familiar with, with the concept of love. People know what it means in their culture and you know what it means in your culture. But, but we talk about it. We sing about it. We spend the better part of our lives chasing after it. But what exactly is love? John speaks to, the, to this question the second time that he raises the topic for us in 1 John chapter 3. He says this, he says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down ours for our brothers. The first thing that strikes me about, about what John says here is that love isn't something that you feel. It's not even something that you say. Love is something that you do. It's an action. And it, he says Jesus laid down his life for us. That's an action. And, and just to be sure that we don't miss that, John, John shows us again when he comes back to, to this topic in chapter 4. He says this. He says, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. God didn't just tell us that He loved us. He showed us that He loved us. He, and He did it by sending Jesus into the world so that we might not have to pay the penalty for our sins. Based on what we find here in 1 John I wanted to come up with a definition of love. And so I, I came up as I was working on this with kind of a working definition of love. And here's what I came up with. And it's this. Love is giving of yourself. If if we had to define love, I think this is a good place to start. Love is giving of yourself. Because if love is fundamentally something that you do, the fundamental thing that you do is to give. And and not just give anything, but but something personal, something precious, something... of of great importance something of yourself god gave his son jesus gave his life think about it this way if you see a homeless person and and you give them five dollars that's an act of kindness for sure but i'm not sure that we could call it love I mean, if you invite a homeless person in, to come home with you and you help them find a job and get on their feet and, and that kind of stuff, now we're talking love because you haven't just given away five bucks. You, you've opened up your home. You've taken a risk. You've invested some, some time and some money. You've given something of yourself. But love is not giving of yourself indiscriminately just to prove a point or, or just to, to do something admirable. Love is giving of yourself for the good of others. To, to meet a need, to serve a purpose. You know, Jesus didn't just lay down His life just to prove how devoted He was to us. He, he laid down His life for us to pay for our sins so that we might be forgiven. God didn't send His Son just to get our attention, just to, to, so that we would pay attention to Him. Rather, He sent His Son to rescue us in order that we might live through Him. That's a big difference. If you bring home a, a homeless person just to relieve your guilt or to show how compassionate you are or even just to make life interesting. That's not love. Love isn't about you, it's about the other person and doing something good for them. So we might say this, we might say that love is the giving of yourself for the good of others. And as I thought about that, I felt pretty good about that definition, Um, In fact, I felt really good about it when I I picked up a book uh, by James Smith called The Good and Beautiful Community, and he actually defines love the exact same way. He uses verbatim the same words. Love is giving of yourself for the good of others. I felt really good about that, because when somebody smarter than you says the exact same thing as you, you you feel good about it, right? But as I, I kept thinking about that phrase in my mind, I kept thinking about all that John had to say about love, and I... At that definition, it seemed to be lacking something. It wasn't quite strong enough. It, it wasn't distinct, distinctively Christian. Something was missing. So looking back at John's letter again, um, I think he wasn't finished with this definition of love. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. He says this. He says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know what the most remarkable thing about God is? Is that God's love extends to people who aren't even interested in it. God's love extends to people who in fact want nothing to do with him. Like Adam and Eve, every human being at some point in their life have turned their back on God, including us. We, we've chosen to do our own thing, to do life our own way. And like Adam and Eve, we didn't go looking for God. Instead, God came looking for us, and when, he, and when He found us, He laid down His life for us. And He did it while we were in the very act of sinning against Him. So I added one more phrase to this definition And it's this, love is giving of yourself for the good of others, even for those with whom you have differences. Now to say that we had differences with God is is putting it mildly, I'll admit. But I want this definition to work practically and in situations in which we're likely to find ourselves in. The point is this, is that we don't get to choose who we love. We're not called to love only those who who like us or agree with us or ask us for our love. I mean, we are called to love those people, but we're called to love more than those. We're called to love those who are different from us, who disagree with us, even those who may actively be against us. A, A pastor from Oxford named Von Roberts said it this way. He said, when you love people that are like you, that's ordinary. When you love people who are unlike you, That's extraordinary. And when you love people who dislike you, that's revolutionary. And that's the kind of love that John is calling us to, the kind of love that the world is waiting to see from Christians. But but the second question that I think we might be asking is, is, why is this love so important? I mean, we can understand why John makes such a big deal about truth and about righteousness. I mean, certainly a Christian needs to to believe the right things, don't they? And and to behave the right way. But why is love so essential? Well, John answers that question pretty directly in chapter 4, in verses 7 and 8. He says this, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone, he says, who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God... Is love. Notice a couple of things that he doesn't say here. He doesn't say love is God, as if as if who we believe in doesn't matter as long as we love. He doesn't say that. John doesn't deify love. And he doesn't say that God is loving, as if love is just one of his many different attributes, it's one of his many different characteristics and activities. John says God is love. His his very essence, his very nature is love. Every other aspect of God, His wisdom, His justice, His mercy, His goodness, His righteousness, His, all of those things are ultimately an expression of His love. And so if we have been born of God, like we talked about last week, we, we can't help but love. It's in our DNA, it's in our genes, it's who we are. And when we love, we make God known to each other, and more importantly, around the world. Remember how that song goes? It says, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me Look, in this postmodern world that we live in, we can't argue people into Christianity. We can't. We can't argue them into the kingdom of God. We can only show them. People today aren't really asking if Christianity is true. They're asking if Christianity is good. And so we have to show them. And when we give of ourselves for the good of others, even for those with whom we have differences, we show people what the love of God is like. But, but what does love look like in everyday life, in our everyday experiences? Well, John's got something to say about that too. In chapter 3 he says this, he says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brothers in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. John's saying that love is very practical. And according to him it's not just words, it's, it's action, it's giving of ourselves every day. It's doing good for, for people in ordinary ways. A few minutes ago, I mentioned the book by James Smith called The Good and Beautiful Community. And in one of his chapters, he offers uh, some simple suggestions for, for living unselfishly. Let me share a couple of those with you. He says, at home, ask your spouse or your roommate how they're doing. And, and really listen. Don't just, you know, you know we ask, how, hey, how you doing? And we expect everybody to say, oh, I'm good, right? That's, that's the answer that people give. He says, no, 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 really listen to them. If you've got other things to do, put them to the side. Practice putting their needs ahead of yours. If you've got children, he says, give them the honor of choosing how to spend an evening this week. Any way that they want. You know, they get to pick you know, the, the movie that you watch together or the activity that you do together. At, at work, he says, stop by a co-worker's desk and just ask, hey, what are you working on today that I might be able to help you with? He says, make some fresh coffee for the officer. Clean up the break room. He says, at church, sit up near the front of the sanctuary or in spaces where people seldom sit so that you leave the more desirable seats for others. This one was really difficult for me. He says, when driving, be on the lookout for opportunities to let people get in front of you. And I'm telling you, that's a a difficult one for me because with all road construction going on, you saw the sign that said lane ends two miles ago like everybody else did, right? So get over then. Don't, don't wait till the very last second and try and cut in front of me. Because if you do, you're going you're gonna to get to know that barrel real, real well. But maybe one of the ways that we show love is just we look for opportunities to let people get ahead of us. And look, I realize none of those things are, are likely to change the world. But they might change us into the kinds of people who give ourselves for the good of others. Beyond the practical choices that, that we can make uh, to show love, there are a couple of mindsets that we can have as the church as well that will affect our interactions with one another and, and show the world what love looks like. And, and the first is to, to honor and respect one another. Romans uh, 12, Paul says this. He says, honor one another above yourselves. And then in First Peter, Peter says, show proper respect to everyone. And, and there are two arenas in particular that I, that I want to talk about just for a moment where I think we can honor and respect one another. And the first arena is the political arena. And look, I know you're not supposed to talk church and politics, but, but we're going to anyway. Politics can be frustrating, especially around election time. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I dread October and November and even and major election years, even months before that, uh, with all of the, the ad campaigns and the signs on the side of the road. And, and, and mostly just, I'm tired of all the negativity. The, the smear tactics and, and the slanderous accusations, the inflammatory remarks that, that, that people make about each other, that candidates make about their, their opponents. It's, it's almost like we've come to expect those things, though, right? That we're not surprised when somebody says something inflammatory about another candidate now because that's just what you have to do to win, it seems. But wouldn't it be wonderful? In fact, wouldn't it be amazing if the church could show the world a better way to talk politics? a way that's characterized by respect, even for those with whom we have differences, a way characterized by honor for those who hold office, even if we disagree with their policies. I'll tell you, I am troubled by our inability as Christians to have thoughtful and respectful dialogue with each other about political issues. We we are so quick to draw lines in the sand, so quick to pass judgment on, on another person's spirituality based on who they voted for. I'm amazed at how harshly and even hatefully we Christians speak of politicians and political parties. I mean, think about this. We wouldn't let ourselves talk like that about any other person or any other issue the way that we talk about politics and politicians. But it seems like when it comes to those things, we, just, we can let it fly. And look, it's true on both sides of the aisle. It's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. It's a, it's a political issue. It's both groups. I mean, it was true when President Bush was in office. People, people always had terrible things to say about him. It was true when President Obama was in office. It was true when President Trump was in office. And it's still true with President Biden in office. And it was true long before any of those presidents. Look, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be politically active. I hope we all cast votes that are informed by our faith as well as our political philosophy. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be passionate about a cause or a candidate. In fact, I think we should. But before we speak about a cause or a candidate, before we forward an email, before we we post something on social media, shouldn't we ask ourselves if, if what we're about to say is true or helpful or respectful, and I'm, not so, and I'm certainly not saying that we should all agree with each other, that we should all have the same political views and support the same political candidates. Diver- diversity, including our political diversity, is something that we should be thankful for. We, we need to challenge each other to stretch one another's perspectives. But let's do that in an atmosphere of honor and respect and civility. I think we'd all agree that the political arena is a toxic environment. So let's show the world a better way to do politics, to talk politics, to engage in politics. There's there's another arena of life where I think we can honor and respect one another, and and it's the congregational life of our church. Um, I have been in churches where they have church business meetings, and I have seen church business meetings put relationships to the test. Uh, I'll be honest with you, one of the things I'm most thankful for about this church is that we don't have a formal church business meeting. I know some of you would probably like that, but I am super thankful that we don't have one. Um, but just because there's not a formal business meeting uh, like other groups have doesn't mean that there aren't meetings. And so let's take advantage of those opportunities to love one another in some practical ways. Let's listen respectfully to one another without rushing to defend our position. Let's speak respectfully of one another, not just in formal meetings, but but, in the lobby and in Sunday school classes and in the parking lots. As members of this body, we are all members of this body. Let's let's honor the work and the wisdom of leaders who have invested many hours of prayer and deliberation in matters. As leaders, let's honor the perspective and contributions of members of, of of our body, believing that God can speak through anyone in this body. Let's believe the best about one another. As we pursue this unity and bond of peace. A a second practical way to love that that seems especially relevant to to me right now is the command to serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10, he says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. If love is giving of yourself for the good of others, then love means giving of our time and our talent and our energy to, to the good for someone else. When, when a children's ministry volunteer sits with a child on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or whenever and sits down and, and colors a page with them and explains a Bible story to them, they're, they're showing the love of Christ to them. They are serving them. It's a beautiful thing. When, when a, a couple of men come in on a Sunday morning and fix breakfast for, for another group of men so that they can share a time of fellowship together, that's, that's an act of service. That's a beautiful thing. When when members of uh, another women's group, they go and they fix meals for someone who's been in the hospital or something like that. That's a beautiful thing. That's an act of service. So let me ask you, where are you serving? Where are you serving? In what ways are you giving of yourself to the brothers and sisters of Christ here at GCC? Let me offer a paraphrase of a verse that we just looked at a moment ago. It says, if anyone has a gift and sees his church in need but does nothing to help How can the love of God be in them? If you want to prove it, if you want to go deeper in your faith, if you want to get closer with with your church family, the best thing that you can do for yourself and, and for the body is to serve somewhere. It's to serve, it's to be involved. It's one of the best things that you can do for your spiritual life, your church life. And honestly, even for your family life. Look, it's wonderful to be a friendly church. I'm glad that we have that reputation. It's it's a good thing to to be able to smile at each other in the lobby and and exchange pleasant greetings in the pews and and all those kind of things. It's important to help each, each other out every once in a while with a meal or a visit or a ride. But if that's all we're doing, how deep is our love? Years ago, years ago, a Catholic priest named Father John Powell wrote a book entitled, Why Am I Afraid to Love? Look, we're afraid... For all kinds of reasons. But the love that we've been talking about this morning, that deep love that God has shown to us in Christ overcomes fear. John would write this in chapter 4. He says, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. You know this, but when you disappoint someone who, who loves you deeply, they love you anyway, don't they? They 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 don't reject you or instead of punishing you, they forgive you. They're, they're patient with you. They give you a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth and however many chances it takes, right? Because that's what you do when you love someone deeply, and that's how God has loved us. He's given us so many second chances. And that's how we're called to love one another. And when you're loved like that, when when you have that deep love for somebody, and when somebody loves you that deeply, you know what happens? It it makes you free. You're free to make mistakes. you're, You're free to disagree with each other. You're free to take a risk. You're free to be yourself. That's why love is the greatest gift that we can give to one another. Because it gives us the freedom to become the people that we long to be, and that we were meant to be in Christ. Dear children, let us love One another. Let me pray for us.